0: What a, what a joy to sing the praises of God with his saints. And what a greater joy it will be someday to stand around his throne and sing praises with people from every tongue and every language on earth. And we have the privilege of being part of that through our missions emphasis here at Berean. Sending the gospel not only in Portage and Kalamazoo and in this region, but around the globe, around the world, as people minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, and part of our missions family is here today. Russ and Melody Ebersoll are here. Uh, they have been serving in Togo for twenty years. Uh, some time before that, in raising support and language school, but ra- ministering in the southern hospital in Togo and ministering and seeing the lives of people change because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to bow in prayer and ask God's blessing on their time, and then we're going to turn over to Russ to share with us this morning. Let's pray. Father, may your name be exalted. May it be exalted over all the earth. May every people hear your name and turn to you, and we look forward to the day when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess and sing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you for Russ and Melody and their ministry. We ask your blessing as Russ shares with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Russ? Yeah. Thanks. All right.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Well, good morning. morning. Glad to be here once again at the Berean. I want to first have my wife just stand to recognize her here. Melody has been uh, my partner for August 1st. It'll be 48 years. And uh, she's been a vital part of our ministry as a team in Togo. Literally the lives of hundreds to maybe thousands of kids and teens have uh, been introduced to the Savior through her ministry there. So I want to give her honor and credit for that. It's been several years since we've been here in Berean. And by the way, I appreciate the decor outside there. It kind of makes us feel at home. <laughs> okay, uh, A lot of banana trees and palm trees and stuff like that. <clears throat> um, it's been several years since we've been to Berean. Remember the last time we were there, we stayed with the Austins. I had not seen them here. I don't know... If airwave right now, and we want to thank you for your prayers and support over the past 20-plus years. Our first visit here, you had a different pastoral staff, and I remember meeting Pastor Will Davis, and I had a great time getting to talk to his wife, Charlene, in between services. Um, I spent a a scary ride in my then-quote-new van three months into our service in Togo, Because our van was the newest on the compound and had the best air conditioning, it was decided that it would be the one to take Pastor, I mean, President Loftus, Vice President Will Davis, Ron Washer, and other dignitaries. And I was as nervous as a cat because I only had about three months' practice on Togolese roads, and I only hit three chickens. (laughs) But they did not let me hear the end of that. They wanted to paint chickens on the side of my van. I will have to tell you, though, when a veteran missionary, Gib Dickinson, took my place the next day in my van, he hit four, (laughs) including a duck. So anyway, that was some memory I have of Pastor Will. When we were here, it was the first time we met Jerry and Kathy Davis, too, who subsequently spent quite a bit of time in Togo with us. We enjoyed that. And we had, I have to tell you, one memorable furlough was also when we came back with our sons and stayed with the Benefields. And it was a missions conference, and while the ladies took off to go to a tea, Bill said, "We're not going to any tea. We're going to go out and play laser tag." So, so he took us out there, and the the plan was the young bucks against the old guys that should know better. And after about two or three rounds, he came to me. He said, "You are worthless. <laughs> I, I'm going to take them on myself." And he's true. I'm not very good at that. Fortunately, I'm a little bit better at medicine. Um, but anyway, that was. My boys still talk about that. But, you know, we now find ourselves in a really very new and different situation, having returned from Togo in December for likely the last time as we move toward retirement at the end of this year. We're now in our 70s. We're getting Social Security checks. We're looking at Medicare. We've had some significant health issues, although God has kept us acutely healthy. But it's mainly a desire from our kids that it's time to be home and spend time with our grandchildren. As my daughter puts it, well, you still remember who they are. <laughs> and that's not that far off. So uh, that's why I, I, I thought I had more years in me, but it just, the Lord has told us that it's time to come back. Our departure from Togo was also very difficult. You know, you have all these plans for your grand finale, the grand tour. You're going to see everybody we planned to pack a container on the 30th of November, fly back on the 6th, giving us a week to take our time and make the rounds of saying goodbye and uh, thanking folks. But God had other plans. My dad, who was 95 years old at that time and suffering from pulmonary fibrosis, began to deteriorate clinically shortly before this time. And our hope was that we would get the, the container pack, get back and see him at least one more time. But on November 28th, it was the evening that we moved from our home into the guest house in preparation for leaving. While having our first supper that night, I received a call from my sister Sue, who's a missionary up in uh, uh, Mongo, but was home with my my dad at the time, that he had just gone to heaven, which was a big blow. It kind of just put all those plans to the side. Then we learned uh, two days later that we weren't going to pack our container because the shipper had lied to us and had not made any of the arrangements he said he did. So we found ourselves leaving Togo in kind of a disarray, the shock of my dad passing, and now leaving what we thought was a packed container. We had to unpack it, put it back in our house, and get ready to come back, and we'll worry about the container later. Uh, We didn't return to the U.S. as scheduled, and we were there for my father's memorial service, and uh, we had to start all over with plans for the container. The service was of course sad, but it was also wonderful as we had all of our immediate family were there and over a hundred of my siblings and their spouses and their kids and their great grandkids there for that. And we were able to um, honor his life. You know, he was a missionary at ABW for 55 years serving as administrator in the Far East. So he was a, a huge part of our lives. He was there in 64, when my mom passed away, leaving, I was 12 at, at oldest, my sister Sue was five, and he's been the rock of our family during, since that time, and it's just hard to believe he's gone. Uh, he and my mom also, my stepmother, they've been married 54 years, the second marriage. The two of them, every morning, prayed for every child, every grandchild, every great child. and... My mother still does that, but it's not the same as having the two of them. So it's been, a, it's been a real change for us. But we moved on. At the end of December, we moved to the Cleveland area where three of our kids and seven of our grandkids live. And we were blessed to be given a house. We had no, no way of buying a home. We sold our home 30 years ago and took a loss. But my daughter's in-laws purchased a small home, five minutes a walk from their house, from her, my, sister, my daughter's house, and are renting it to us at very reasonable rent. <laughs> so we are very, very, very blessed. Now, the trouble is it's been an only, almost empty house until about three weeks ago because it took six months to get our stuff here. So we're still in the process of undoing But you know, of all these unexpected difficulties, the most difficult one was with my father. God has helped us through it all and provided for us in so many ways. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to be talking about, with the pictures, a quick, quick trip through 20 years. But I want to look at something in Scripture first uh, that has to do with that. You know, each time we returned for furlough, we took the time to reflect on what God had done in the preceding years, especially when you're preparing to present to supporters like we're doing right now. But now we're in the process of reviewing and reflecting our overall time in ministry during the past 25 years, which includes support raising Nineteen months in Quebec learning French at age 48, uh, which is not easy. And then our time in Togo. Excuse me. The goal in this process has been to be able to give praise to the Lord for his faithfulness, his guidance, his protection and blessing, and then share these with us. It's, it's neat that the songs had, had to do with praise. <clears throat> so... There are numerous instances in the Bible where God instructed people specifically to take time to remember what God had done for them, especially in the Old Testament. There's even many cases where he gave instructions to create memorials, like altars. You see altars with the, the, uh, the, the fathers of Abraham and the, and the uh, pat- patriarchs. Even specifically, if you remember in Joshua, when they crossed the river, into Canaan for the first time the priests were instructed to take big heavy memorial stones from the middle of the river and put them on the the side that they landed there as a memorial to remind the people what God had done for them now many of the Psalms are concerned with praise to the Lord the hundred that was up on the slide there but I want you to look briefly at Psalm 105 now this is 45 verses we're not going to get to go through all the verses So I'm going to take you on a brief visit through that with a few few, uh, items here and there that will set us up for the pictures. Psalm 105 is a hymn of celebration of God's faithful dealing with his people over an extended time. And it's considered a historical psalm because all throughout the psalm he's mentioning specific things that happened in the history of Israel. This is not general God is there for you, he's going to provide for you. This is, remember this? Remember this incident, remember that. So it's a historical psalm. Uh, and there are three components to that as far as the praise to the Lord for what he's done. It, in verses 1 through 6, it's praise for the Lord's greatness. A call to praise and rejoicing because of his many wonderful acts. So you look at verse 1 to 3, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Then it says, sing praises to him. And then following glory in his holy name. And then verse 5 starts out with Remember. Remember the, wonder, the, the excuse me, the wonderful works he 's done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. When we remember that is a motivation for worship, because we say, "What well, this happened? He helped us in this way it 's also a source for trust it 's a basis for trust. We know what he did in the past. we know what he could do in the future. And then the second thing. Praise for God's faithfulness. And that's a longer section. That's the bulk of the psalm, verses 7 to 42. One commentary I read said, basically he's telling them, you need to remember him, God, because he remembered you. And that's something to keep in mind, okay? We don't want to turn our back on God because he continues to, to uh, meet our needs and pro- provide protection. The verses 7 through 11 talks about what what happened. This is what of the, the, God's faithfulness. He gave you a covenant promise through to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And that was regarding the promised land. And verse 8 says, He remembers His covenant forever. You're never going to forget it. Verse 11, He said, I will give you the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. That was the covenant promise to the Israelites. Now, for a period of time, they had to wait for the promise. It had not happened yet. It was still in the future. And it became not a matter of sight, but faith. They had to remember other things that God did and keep that in mind that he would provide what he promised them. And then it goes into a detailed explanation, which we don't have time to get, to get into, of how God specifically helped them to obtain that covenant promise. Initially, uh, the <coughs> for, oh, I'm sorry, let me, I lost my place. For example, Verses 12 through 15, they were protected while they were aliens in a foreign land. They didn't even have their own land to call their own and often under harsh conditions. Verse 12 said they were few in number. Verse, eight, verse 13 says they were wandering from nation to nation. But verse 14 says he allowed no one to oppress them. So even during their time when they were aliens, had nothing, no place to call their home, he was with them. 16 through 22 talks about Providing protection while in Egypt. You know, they came from a famine in 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 their own land. And they could have been wiped out at that point. But God provided provision in kind of a unique way. Through Joseph being taken captive. And ultimately being in Egypt where they then were able to move and uh, continue to live. Verse 17 says, he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph. And uh, he provided that. Then verse 23-25 says, He kept them fruitful. Now, in Egypt, they were oppressed. They were slaves. They were being treated harshly. But at the same time, they were fruitful. They exceeded the numbers. They really got the Egyptians nervous. But uh, it says in verse 24, the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. Then in 26 to 36 is where action comes into place. This is where God used miraculous works to not only meet their needs, but protect them and allow them to eventually uh, get their covenant promise. He sent Moses and Aaron. Verse 27, they performed his signs among them and miracles in the land. And then finally, in verses 37 to 41, he brought them out of Egypt. Now, he brought them out of Egypt into a desert and a wilderness, which, of course, they complained bitterly about repeatedly. But even during that time, he provided protection and provision while they wandered in the desert. Uh, it mentions the cloud of, during the day and the pillar of fire by night. It mentions the man and the quail that were provided and also the water from the rock. So they, they had no way of not knowing that God had been with them throughout their history as they just re, re, uh, re, reviewed these. The third component is the last uh, verses, 42 to 44, excuse me, It's praise for the Lord's deliverance. The ultimate fulfillment of the covenant promise was in verse 42. He remembered his holy promise. Verse 43, he brought his people out with joy. Verse 44, he gave them the lands of the nations. They took possession of the fruit of the people's toil. Then it concludes with the last verse, verse 45. And it's almost like an afterthought. He's been talking about all these specifics and then it's sort of like, oh, and let me tell you why I did all this. It says, these are the reasons that God has done this. The people are reminded that their responsibility now, in light of all God's faithfulness, is to keep his precepts and observe his laws. And then it closes with a final hallelujah or praise. You know, this psalm is retelling God's work on the behalf of the Israelite nation. But the lessons to be learned can be applied to us as individuals. It was applied to the Israelites as individuals as well. We all can reflect on our own personal history to see how God has blessed and protected us through both good times and bad. For us as a missionary couple, we have seen the blessing of God during our ministries in Togo, especially in the lives of many young Togolese who we've had the privilege of introducing them to the Lord and then watching as he worked and grew in their lives. We've also seen God's hand of protection and deliverance, just like he did with the Israelites. We, we had more than a couple. Three months after we arrived in Togo with four kids, having sold our house, moved the kids out of school, moved everything that we owned over there, I was awakened. I wasn't awakened. I was up working on a, a lecture for the nursing class out at the nursing school at about midnight, and my wife, I heard her voice, but I couldn't understand her. I went to the room and she was talking with a slurred voice and could not move her right side, which to me immediately said there's a suspicion for a stroke. Uh, after a couple hours, it resolved, but we were concerned what had happened. And three months after arriving, we, she and I were on a plane heading back to the States for a workup, leaving our four kids with missionary friends. And I was wondering, am I going to be coming back with her? Or will I, will I be coming back alone to pick up my kids and restart that was a time of testing. Uh, she had a normal evaluation and has never had the symptoms since then in the last 20 years, so we're thankful for that. In 2005, the politics out there, the, uh, the uh, dictator of 38 years died on a plane going to, uh, for medical care in France, and the cu- country became in turmoil. We thought it would happen down in the capital city. It started right in our backyard. As one, one day we heard gunfire, we had, uh, our road was blocked, they had burning tires and cars there, and the decision was made to evacuate our families to Ghana for about 10 days. I remained with our oldest son uh, and some of the other dogs to hold down the hospital. And uh, we had 55 wounded the first day. Uh, I spent 14 years in, in Navy medicine. I was trained how to do triage. Never used it once in the Navy. I found as a rookie missionary my first term, I'm doing triage on wounded patients. But God blessed. The country was spared. Our families were spared. Even the 55 patients in the hospital, only one passed away. So God helped us through that time.
0: And then we had a really
1: uh, big test in 2010 when I developed acute renal failure. had to come back to the States to to Cleveland Clinic to... uh, be hospitalized for a couple weeks, and that kept us home for about two and a half years. One was our furlough year, and the other year and a half were a lot of other complications. I had significant eye problems with several surgeries. But through it all, at the end of it all, I have very mild chronic renal failure that doesn't affect me at all, and God allowed us to return. So we've seen him help. He's been faithful, allowed us to ultimately remain in Togo for the past 20 years. You know, if you look in your life, we each have our own pilgrimage. That's the story of our lives. And we can likely realize many personal parallels to this song because God's character never changes. It's the same today as it was back then. And we're promised that. What we want to do now is to show you quickly through 20 years of uh, time in Togo a little bit of what God has done and how we've seen him work. So... Put on your seatbelts and get ready. We're going. For the few of you who don't know about Togo, which I find hard to believe because there's been missionaries coming through from here, Togo, since time immemorial, I think, starting with the crossing. Little tiny country, West Africa, size of Vermont. When we got there, it was about 4.5 million people. There are now seven, almost eight million. So it's very crowded. And uh, the tiny little country at the top of the, the, the north, there's the Hospital of Hope, That's where the Kriegers were. Uh, Jen is still there with uh, Drew. And we were down south, HBB, Hôpital Baptiste Public. We got there in 2002. But we had two years of support raising and 19 months of French language in Quebec to get there. We left with four of our five kids. Our oldest son had finished college. He remained in the States. A certain young lady was keeping him there now the mother of three of our grandkids. So the four kids that you see their faces circled were the ones here. That's what we looked like when we came here. A lot younger. But uh, when you come to the hospital, it's right tucked in uh, right next to the plateau all the way back in that picture. You can see the view of the the hospital compound. And uh, it has a hospital of 42 beds. We have an inpatient, outpatient clinic. We do... uh, Internal medicine, we do pediatrics. I have been the only pediatrician there, and there is none right now. That's one of our prayer that we can get some back. Maybe my son. But, uh, and also we have an active surgical service. Uh, I had to get used to some of the things I've seen there, but God, uh, God used uh, me being in the service. I spent three years in the Philippines working with children with tropical illnesses and so I had a leg up on other people there, but dealing with HIV and pneumonia and malaria and the young little, little baby there with the neonatal tetanus. But, you know, it wasn't just the hospital. It wasn't just the patients and their illnesses. The reason we're there is for their souls. And emphasis in HBB is high with evangelism. Um, it's, it happens in the clinic, as you see in the lower left. It happens at the bedside. Even though we have a five wonderful chaplains that that's all they do, everybody's involved in this. Even the anesthetist giving anesthesia during surgery. We've had many come to know the Lord, captive audience of course, <laughs> lying on the, on the table as they're having surgery. And a big part of every chart, the top of every chart is our, what we call our spiritual progress note. It tells you who is the one that talked to the patient, what was used to do the explanation, and where they are in the process of coming to know the Lord. And it's not unusual for a patient to be kept a day or two extra, even though they're ready medically to go home so that they have more contact. I like to refer that as the reverse HMO, (laughs) which the more I could do that, the happier I am, believe me. So we worked as a team though. My wife is a music teacher, music major, And her goal was to work with kids and do music as well. But she, right from the start, was part of the team in the hospital. She visited all the children, bringing things for them to do, Bible stories. Uh, Later on, she worked out uh, John lessons, and the kids that could read and write would work those out. And we got our kids involved right away. Now, we were worried about getting there with kids who were teenagers. You know, kind of being dragged by mom and dad to the other side of the world and we wanted them not to have a bad experience here and we found that getting them involved early on with the nationals and with the ministry was the way to do it that little boy that you see there he's holding in his hand a bush baby which would run up and play with the kids And do. Uh, he two weeks ago grad, uh, finished his residency in internal medicine and pediatrics so there is hope for your kids you know he never once came to the hospital as any interest, but now he's looking at possibly coming back. The boys, when they got there, new friends. There was only one other missionary kid on the compound. And so they soon, I mean, our house was full with uh, teen, young teens and kids all the time. And you'll see pictures of some of their teenagers, I mean, kids that were 14, 15, where they are now. They had new pets, the civet on the left. That's Nate with his monkey. And our son, Stephen, was a snake expert. He did all the skinning of snakes and became the one that would help me identify snakes when patients came in with snake bites. And he's responsible for some of the skins out there. He's still interested in that. They even had a fast food joint in Lome, which was their favorite. This is the world-renowned Al Donald. (laughs) The the home of the single golden arch. (laughs) It's actually run by Lebanese actually it closed in the past year which our sons when they came back were very disappointed where else can you get a hamburger with lettuce, tomato and an egg on it That's we actually used street hockey as a way to attract kids when we first got there we brought a whole bunch of equipment, we just went out there started playing, there wasn't a wall around there within time the kids were there uh, they picked up the game really fast, although we went through a lot of sticks. And uh, this led to a ministry started among these children that ultimately grew into a weekly Wednesday ministry with over 200 kids each week. That's our living room. Our living room. And you can't see everybody in there. And it was quite the smell, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> But that's just what you're expect. they out there running around. We had so much fun with them. They start with singing, and uh, then they would go to their classes. That on the left was the teenage class that we had. We had a young uh, Togolese man who was actually a gardener that led hundreds of kids to the Lord. Through that. He was, and the younger kids were in our carport. You can see my son Stephen. This is a little bit later. But he and Nate were fluent in French and would serve as translators for the short-term as they came to help us. Oh, back up one more. You see the young young lady there who's paralyzed. That we would bring children from the hospital, uh, literally bring them on their beds as well. Then they had discipleship classes. As they came to the Lord, they were put in discipleship classes at the peak. There were 13 different classes going. And there you can see Nate on the left helping with uh, translating. After that, they'd have time of games and football. That's football, football. That's soccer. Um, and then for the kids that were coming from the hospital that couldn't do that, uh, my wife had puzzles and games and toys. And so this became, we just see flocks of kids heading to the hospital compound every Wednesday. We also were involved in a church up the mountain, Kudragan. It was a, a uh, as you can see, dirt floor, um, thatch roof. They had their big one-note, or excuse me, one-string bass, which all good Togolese churches have. And you can see our th- three boys when they are a lot younger there. Also had Sunday school outside under the the, the thatch roofs. And uh, the people are very generous, even though they had very little. Uh, that's my wife bringing a gift that they gave us one Sunday. That's a live chicken, and uh, good thing she's from a farm background. I want to stop a minute and show you three young men that you saw pictures of them when they were little playing. Uh, Yalvi was the first one to come to know the Lord in our house. And uh, he has worked for years as a gardener. He was our gardener when we were there. But he had been going to pastoral training, which he goes one week a month down to Lome and spends the rest of the time working. And because the pastor he was working with was up the mountain, he fell, broke his back, and became a paraplegic. I was on the night he came in. So he could no longer walk the mountain. So now Yawi is a gardener. He's a pastoral student and is the interim pastor of this, house, this church up the mountain. Uh, he's married with one boy. They had a little girl that was born about six months ago that died in childbirth, which was really sad. But he's a very, very quiet, but very deep and very faithful man. Kasi is much more bouncy (laughs) lively he's probably the best friend of our boys well there's two that they were really close to he's also been serving as a gardener but he his other roles are he leads vvs's in the area and my sister started an orphanage work that he has carried on while she's up in mongo he's also a pastoral student and he's the father of four boys so he's very busy but he is such an enthusiastic uh, worker for the lord Third guy is Comey. Probably had the best smile of anybody I know. Comey was very—he was very cerebral. He would come to the house, and we would get into discussions, maybe arguments at times. Sir, I just—I just learned about a new guy in school, and he sounds great. His name is Karl Marx. You know. <laughs> so excuse me, Comey. Let's have a talk about this, okay? Well, he was very, very intelligent. He went on to training after high school. And he now is the assistant administrator and head of human resources at Mongo. And they just went through a difficult time while their their administrator was gone. And what I heard from my sister and others, that he was just amazing how he's taken charge and helped up there. He's father of three boys. So these are all kids that were in our house for hours and hours and hours during the day. And now they're young men that are serving the Lord. And that's really encouraging as we retire to see that. And that's the three of them with two of our sons. One of the trips that came out there, they all came to say hi. That's one of my favorite pictures. I've got to throw in a few medical pictures, okay? Um, and I'm running out of time here. But I, my first term there, I started doing chemotherapy on cancer kids. I never expected to do that. It secretly is what I really would have liked to do if I'd been in the States. But you'll never use cancer therapy in, the, in missions, right? <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. This guy came in with this big swollen jaw, Burkitt's lymphoma. That came up in three days. It went down in three days with chemotherapy. It's the fastest growing tumor. He, he now is 10 years plus uh, a survivor. He's my longest surviving cancer kid. You can see him with his family there. Uh, one thing with cancer, you, you have them for a long time. You're talking about at a minimum of 9 to 12 months of th- th- therapy where they're coming back. And often they just stay at the hospital a little time. So there's tons of time for them to hear the gospel. This whole family came to Christ with that. Not all, not all of them ate it, though. This was a young uh, man. he's about 15, Paul. And uh, came in with a big, big swollen neck. You, you can see he looks better in the middle there, but then the next picture, you see how skinny he is. He had recurrence and also had trouble with the chemotherapy. We took him up to the mountain to our church. You can see him leaning against our van. And he brought his brother up there in the orange shirt. And at that, on that Sunday, his brother came to the Lord. You can see him praying with the pastor there. So his brother became a Christian. His mom became a Christian. Paul became a Christian. And that's a picture of Melody and uh, one of the young men that works with us the day Paul went back home because there's nothing more we could do for him. And the other picture shows his mom and brother coming back to let us know that he had gone to heaven a couple weeks before 2006 7 was our first furlough. Unfortunately, Dan stayed in the States. That was really hard. He went to uh, train for a missionary pilot. Stephen 8, though, came back with us. We found that when we got back, the Muslims had been increasing from about 10 to 40 percent. They see them all over. They've absconded with one of our big mango trees as their site for doing their daily prayers. We continue with the children's ministry and the. And the uh, Excuse me, the discipleship classes. Things changed a bit. Stephen had a license and he started um, ferrying the kids and providing transportation for them. Bill Benefield, Benefield. (laughs) during the break, told me about they were in a data in the dark, not knowing where they were going and the Afraid because who wants to be in Africa in the dark? And all of a sudden this van came pulling up and tons of kids came out and there was Stephen driving and he was so glad to see Stephen. Somebody knew another, uh, another face. Uh, for Christmas we would ask their families and friends to come and we would have over 500 people in our front yard for Christmas and a chance for all of them to hear the gospel during that time. <clears throat> Melody continued to visit the patients uh, on a daily basis. We still were at the church up north. One of the men in the church who was the leader in the town passed away. And the people in the church, in the, excuse me, the elders in the village said, we want to do a fetisher's funeral. He said, no, he he wanted to have a Christian funeral, so we did that. Our van was used as a hearse as we walked to, to the cemetery and it was great to hear the sounds of the christians singing and praying while all around us were all the people screaming and wailing because they didn't want this, this to lose this man i continued with my cancer this is a little girl it came from molly that's a long ways away and she wrote on the back of her father's motto. she almost was dead when she arrived but she responded to chemo you can see her lively and she and melody struck up a fast friendship Melody couldn't speak Zerma, she couldn't speak English, but they were able to communicate. I remember one Sunday morning, a knock on the door, and here was Lottie, standing in the doorway with her IV stuck in her hand, but nothing on the other end. She had pulled it out, left the hospital, and came to see us because she knew where our house was, and she liked it there. She walked right by me, sat down with Melody, and started eating breakfast. And I I called the hospital, and I said... uh, do you have anybody missing there? Yeah, we don't know where Lottie is. Well, I can tell you where she is. Well, she, she did well, but her dad missed a, a one of the chemo, and that's just a, the kiss of death. And so she came back in terrible shape, and we had to send her back home with nothing more we could do. And I just remember her looking at me saying, in her eyes saying, last time you helped me. Last time you helped me. Well, why aren't you helping me now? There's nothing we can do. That was very hard. There she is playing with some of the other kids in Melody on her swing. Another little boy, Fabrice, one of my favorites, he's six or seven, just the sweetest little boy. All these pictures is when he was dying of cancer, and you look at his face, because he did well, but then the cancer came back in his brain. We kept him alive for about another four or five months, and then uh, Melody took him back up to, with his parents to the, their home. That's the day they're leaving. He, he, was, he had accepted the Lord. His parents were believers. And he would, when we were meeting in the hospital, he would say, Doctor, I wanna pray for you. So he would pray in Eve. and I tell you, it's like a little preacher boy. He was like very, and it was amazing to do that. It was very hard to lose Fabrice, but uh, the picture on the right, the parents came back with furniture for us that they made for our ministry and some bananas to thank us for, what, for trying. In the States, three months after death, you get a subpoena. It's very different in Africa. One adult that I had contact with was a lady named Rashida. It was a Muslim lady. She came in with an arm that was just totally rotten. She had a two-week-old baby. I said, you're going to have to take her arm off because otherwise you're going to die. It was starting to infect her, her ribs and all. She didn't want it, but her mother said, you're going to do it because the doctor told you to do it. That's the way it is there. So the arm was taken off. She was furious with me, and she was furious at my wife when she tried to contact her because of me. But over time, Melody persisted and made friends with her. And ultimately, she accepted the Lord as Savior, one of our Muslim converts. And that's her being baptized publicly with the group that she was baptized. And later, she also helped us with the Muslim ministries that we had in town. Pray for her. She moved back to her home. We haven't heard from her for quite a while. We're just praying that she's able to maintain her faith there when she's surrounded by all Muslims. December 2010 was an unexpected, unexpected return for us. That's when I developed renal failure. I did get to meet my first grandchild while we were home. But that led to almost two and a half years, one of those were furlough, until we were able to get back. I ended up having a lot of problems with the eyes and several surgeries. But those are all fine now. So we returned as empty nesters. We no longer had kids, so we didn't get the big house, you know, because um, Nate and Steve stayed. So we had to do a scaled-down children's ministry. He couldn't have the two hundred there, so we'd have the forty or fifty. And my wife continued doing that in the same manner. She also started a ministry at the cuisine, which is where the families stay when they have uh, patients there. This has now been replaced by a a very, very nice new, uh, new, new facilities. But she would go there every other week, bring homemade bread, time of singing, playing. And then we'd have like that. that but there's a one of our short-term surgeons who's giving his testimony, and uh, this led to her, people from the cuisine going with her, going with us in our van to church every week, right up to the last day we were there. She also had a ministry for a while in the, the Muslim area of town on Sundays. This has been pick, picked up by other missionaries and is still ongoing. So. 2013 until we came home we switched to a two-year there six-month here because our kids were no longer in school we had one more blip in January of 21 I had a kidney stone that persisted and had to go back to get checked was given a clean bill of health but then COVID hit so we were there for five months waiting to come back for COVID we actually returned to Togo before things were cleared out but they allowed us to kind of sneak in so, Melody continued our last term. She continued working with the hospitalized children. She also sometimes would accompany a child's final journey. A child would die. She would take the body or the, in, a, in a casket and uh, with our driver would take them to where they lived and one last time to show the love of Christ uh, during a difficult time. The other white lady that's sitting in there it was a young nursing student that came out and spent 10 weeks at our house because Cedarville's team had shut down because of COVID. And the uh, last two weeks of those 10 weeks, our son Stephen came, took her up the mountain, and proposed to her. So she's now, <laughs> she's now uh, the mother of two very cute grandchildren that we have in, in, uh, in Cleveland. Melody, during this time, also started teaching piano. She'd been a piano teacher for years and so was teaching some of the young men so they could be pianists at their church, and we had to start going to a church in the data because our van just couldn't make it up the mountain anymore. And we weren't far behind it. <laughs> so we started going to a church more locally. Um, a couple more faces. I know I'm past time. But please bear with me. It's, um, that, that guy that i was teaching to, he started to be the music yeah so one of one of the your piano piano students was a music background this this boy Emmanuel was just the sweetest kid came in with a significant cancer. Um, one of the things he, uh, we knew that he made a response, but it was getting worse. He wanted to learn piano, so Melody started teaching you see look on his face there. so she did that for a few weeks and this is the last time she gave him piano lessons he looks pretty good there, but this was on a Saturday, on Monday I was called that he had had a, a cardiac arrest and I worked on him for over an hour as I, and as I was doing that I could see his father looking in the curtain. Uh, his dad had come to know the Lord, his mother we'd never seen except right before then and Emmanuel also had made a decision for Christ. So. Ismael's another teen, he came paralyzed from the waist down, had a big mass on his neck and I thought, well, maybe he's got cancer in his spine. So we gave him chemo, and within three months, he was walking. It did well. Cancer went away. But during our last year there, he uh, came back in his neck. I said, I can give you one thing, but it's a very strong chemo, and there's, it has tons of side effects. And he, by this time, he and his dad, they had both become believers. And he said, no, I'm ready. I just want to go home. And we found out just, just before we left that he had passed away at home. This is my last cancer patient before I left. You can see that huge neck mass. It was so bad we had to put a tracheostomy tube in. But the picture on the right is what he looked like when he left. And as far as I know, he's still doing well. Yow. These are, I had over the years about 30 children with cancer. And I have about six that are still alive. That's a bad, bad percentage And it would be very depressing if that was what made what I'm doing worthwhile. But when I look at that picture, those kids are all dead now. They're all gone. 11 of those are in heaven. They got accepted the Lord. And cancer was the the scourge that caused them to come to the hospital where they found Christ. And so in medical missions, it's not just the medical care. It's the spiritual care that you receive. And, And to me... That's a success. They're not here, they're in heaven. Okay. A couple more other, other than cancer, that's not all I did. This was a little girl that came in 90% third-degree burns. Her dress caught fire. Our surgeon said, keep her comfortable. There's no way she can survive. She wouldn't even survive in a burn center in the States. But Dr. Dave Kuehler, who's one of our short-term surgeons, started treating her. During the time there, that's my sister Sue and my wife there uh, providing some entertainment for her with a video. This is when she finally started to get better, but nine months later, and after 100-plus surgeries, she walked out of the hospital. And I saw her a few months before we left. Full, normal activity. I mean, she has scars, but she's doing wonderful. In the process, she became a Christian, her mother became a Christian. Her grandmother that spent time in the bed also became a Christian. So it's not just the cancer. And one last case with little girl is one of my favorites. Her name is Claire. Claire came in with severe malaria, almost died. Uh, she was just dirty and filthy and her mother was there and didn't care about how she looked and her mom was the nastiest mother I've ever had. I don't see that in Togo. It's one of the reasons for me to leave American pediatrics. I never met kids I didn't like, but I met an awful lot of moms I didn't. Um, And uh, in this case, I finally talked to the chaplain that had been working with him. What is her problem? And he said, well, what you need to understand is she's getting threats from her husband at home to bring the child home because if he dies there, she dies there. He will blame her because they, they didn't do the, the, the tribal medicine. And that's why she's so fu- frustrated. Well, I came in a couple of days later, and this is what the mom looked like. She cleaned up. She looked, at, and she was the most helpful, responsive person. She became my advocate for the others. And the, the female chaplain says, well, she, she accepted Christ yesterday. It was just the most amazing switch. And so some out there, I'm hoping Claire's doing well, but I sure enjoyed the time I had with her. And this is a boy I talked to you before. He was a young man with cancer that was a teenager. He was in, in studies for medicine. He ended up having palliative care with a tumor that wasn't going to get better, and in two days' time, it healed. I had no, no understanding of that other than God being involved. He did well for a year, and it came back, same thing happened. Including, the same thing happened. It went away miraculously. Now we're talking to Ibrahim. You need to wonder what's going on, buddy, that God is touching your life. And he, he was, I think he was very, very interested. And in fact, I can't say he's not a secret believer, but he was afraid of his family. He wasn't able to go back to school, even though I wrote letters for him. He went to Iraq so he could st- continue his studies. And in Iraq, he got a third cancer. Now the benefit of being in Iraq, they're much more uh, their, their, their medicine is much more uh, sophisticated but routinely we are having discussions up to just a week ago I heard from him again what should I do, my parents aren't here this and that and he had chemo and the last thing I got from him is he has a clean bill of health again um, I, I, it's my turn to reply <laughs> but I have just detected a change in how he's writing, and what words he uses. And I just am praying that in his heart, even though he's afraid to publicate, certainly now in Iraq, you might just pray for Abraham when you think about it. Whoops. One more patient. You probably have heard of Arwen Malley. It's one of our missionary kids who died when she was 14 a year ago. She's the one in the middle holding her little brother. She had a neuroblastoma that uh, nothing worked. They lived in Michigan. And they went, in the meantime, they had gone from term to be career missionaries with, with ABW. And she told her de- parents one day, I want to go back to Togo. If nothing's working here, I want to go. And if I have to be buried in Togo, so be it. Her dad told me that was such a hard discussion. But they went back. She did okay for about nine or ten months. And I was her doctor, although I didn't wasn't doing a whole lot of doctoring. Because she she was basically... Uh, calling the shots that <laughs> stood that way but a year ago she passed away and that was quite a thing for our 40, 40 strong missionary kids to go through including about seven teenage girls and four or five teenage boys they were part of her funeral service they were part of the pallbearers. I just pray for uh, Seth and Becca they're just wonderful people they still remain out there uh, wonderful testimony as they went through this now, I'm about to close. You're probably wondering when. We had four kids go with us back in 2020. As, you told, as I told you, I was concerned how pulling them out of their, their niche in the States was going to affect them. The last few months before we left, independently, all four of them said, can we come back and see you? We want to come back to Togo one more time. And so that began their pilgrimage. First in July, our daughter's only daughter, Sarah, Came with their oldest sudden trigger, that spelling is correct. And their new little only daughter, which we had not met, left two other boys at home. And it was wonderful. She, she's fluent in French better than all of us and knew a lot of the people there. Her son, is so all he talks about is toga. In fact, he said, Grandpa, do you know today is the year anniversary that I met with that kid and we played? You know, he's one well, of these real. So it really had an effect on him, and I hope that continues. Then in, in, in uh, August, as a dad and as a doctor, to be able to work side-by-side side with my son uh, was just wonderful for a month. Uh, he's also fluent in French. He knows the culture. His friends came back even from Ghana to see him. And he did wonderful there. The, 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 they loved him, and I'm hoping that, that he will be able to come back at some point. A lot of bills to pay back right yet. Then our son, Stephen, who was a snake expert. He's the one that did all the skinning back there. And uh, uh, he probably is more Togolese than any of our kids. He came out to help us pack. And he, he's, uh, he's still, his, his office at home is his Togo shrine. And he wants to go back there. And then finally, our son, Dan, with his wife, who's a nurse practitioner, came with their two little boys. He brought parts for the airplane and was able to fix it because the pilot there was not a mechanic which gave him a chance to get up in the plane a little bit and fly. We're praying for them. They're still, he was working as a mechanic. They're still interested in that, but the plane ministry has been shut down as of about a month ago. Uh, they're maybe going to restart it with a helicopter, but we don't know, so you might pray about that. It was wonderful to have the four kids back and see that Togo became the country they loved as well. We had a farewell at our church, there's wonderful people there. This is what we're wearing, is what they gave us. And then our missionaries gave us just a beautiful farewell dinner, Filipino style. I grew up in the Philippines. That's the kind of food I like, and, and it was just great to have them there. They, they put on a presentation with probably testimonials from about 40, 50 people. And what touched my heart the most is all our kids were on that. They tried to get one of my father. He was still alive at that time but they weren't able to do it. So, so anyway, what are we doing next? Uh, well, it's really hard to all of a sudden, after you've been doing medicine for 40 years, getting up early, long hours, many days a week, a lot of days on call, to go from that to nothing, although I don't mind the lack of call days, and I'm enjoying sleeping in a little bit. But it is a huge, huge uh, adjustment. So we're still getting unpacked. Remember, our stuff just got here two weeks ago. We're visiting your churches, as we're doing with you. I still enjoy doing consults for pediatric patients via the internet and WhatsApp and things like that, working to help get medical supplies. We have a whole bunch of boxes. We're going to take to Lansing uh, in about three weeks. And one of the main things I want to do in retirement is continue to raise funds for the Pediatric Benevolence Fund I started about 15 years ago. That allows families, especially the cancer kids, they can't afford coming in over and over and over again. It allows them to get the care they need without just bankrupting them. Now, we don't charge much, but 50 bucks is a year's salary, okay? And so we're planning to do that. If any of you are interested, I can give you the details on that, but that's something that long after, I hope long after we're here, that will continue to go. And maybe in the future, some short-term help It depends on health. And what's the other thing we're doing now? The main, one of the main reasons we came home. Enjoying these people. Uh, That's all our kids and grandkids at my dad's funeral. And uh, you can see some of our kids there. Uh, Grandma now is going to work with some of the grandkids there. Uh, We've had two more grandkids since that picture. So we are so enjoying for the first time in our lives being able to be with them on a regular basis, be part of their lives, where we can help with picking them up at school or getting groceries. It's something we've never been able to do, and we're thankful for that. But we're thankful also for you, you all here, for your many years of caring for us as a family, for praying for our ministries, for your financial support, your communications, the, the December cards that we get every year. That's the traditional thing. And most importantly, your prayers. Now, we will continue to be sending out update letters for those who want to continue. If you aren't on our on list, we have that back there. And feel free to come up and see us. I apologize for going long, Pastor I hope you can get to your lunches on time. Thank you so much. Thank you.